Preface to Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denny Sayers. Preface to Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. America does not repel the past or what it has produced under its forms or amid other politics or the idea of castes or the old religions accepts the lesson with calmness is not so impatient as has been supposed that the slough still sticks to opinions and manners and literature while the life which served its requirements has passed into the new life of the new forms perceives that the corpse is slowly borne from the eating and sleeping rooms of the house, perceives that it waits a little while in the door, that it was fittest for its days, that its action has descended to the stalwart and well-shaped heir who approaches, and that he shall be fittest for his days. The Americans of all nations at any time upon the earth have probably the fullest poetical nature. The United States themselves are essentially the greatest poem. In the history of the earth hitherto, the largest and most stirring appear tame and orderly to their ampler largeness and stir. Here, at last, is something in the doings of man that corresponds with the broadcast doings of the day and night. Here is not merely a nation, but a teeming nation of nations. Here is action untied from strings, necessarily blind to particulars, and details magnificently moving in vast masses. Here is the hospitality which forever indicates heroes. Here are the roughs and beards and space and ruggedness and nonchalance that the soul loves. Here the performance, disdaining the trivial, unapproached in the tremendous audacity of its crowds and groupings, and the push of its perspective spreads with crampless and flowing breadth, and showers its prolific and splendid extravagance. One sees it must indeed own the riches of the summer and winter, and need never be bankrupt while corn grows from the ground, or the orchards drop apples, or the bays contain fish, or men beget children upon women. Other states indicate themselves in their deputies, but the genius of the United States is not best or most in its executives or legislatures, nor in its ambassadors, or authors, or colleges, or churches, or parlors, nor even in its newspapers, or inventors, but always most in the common people. Their manners, speech, dress, friendship, the freshness and candor of their physiognomy, the picturesque looseness of their carriage, their deathless attachment to freedom, their aversion to anything indecorous, or soft, or mean, the practical acknowledgment of the citizens of one state by the citizens of all other states, 
the fierceness of their roused resentment, their curiosity and welcome of novelty, their self-esteem and wonderful sympathy, their susceptibility to a slight, the air they have of persons who never knew how it felt to stand in the presence of superiors, the fluency of their speech, their delight in music, the sure symptom of manly tenderness and native elegance of soul, their good temper and open-handedness, the terrible significance of their elections, the President's taking off his hat to them, not they to him. These, too, are unrhymed poetry. It awaits the gigantic and generous treatment worthy of it. The largeness of nature, or the nation, were monstrous without a corresponding largeness and generosity of the spirit of the citizen. Not nature, nor swarming states, nor streets and steamships, nor prosperous business, nor farms, nor capital, nor learning, may suffice for the ideal of man, nor suffice the poet. No reminiscences may suffice either. A live nation can always cut a deep mark, and can have the best authority, the cheapest, namely from its own soul. This is the sum of the profitable uses of individuals or states, and of present action and grandeur, and of the subjects of poets. As if it were necessary to trot back generation after generation to the eastern records, as if the beauty and sacredness of the demonstrable must fall behind that of the mythical, as if men do not make their mark out of any times, as if the opening of the western continent by discovery and what has transpired since in North and South America were less than the small theatre of the antique or the aimless sleepwalking of the Middle Ages. The pride of the United States leaves the wealth and finesse of the cities and all returns of commerce and agriculture and all the magnitude of geography or shows of exterior victory to enjoy the breed of full-sized men, or one full-sized man, unconquerable and simple. The American poets are to enclose old and new, for America is the race of races. Of them a bard is to be commensurate with a people. To him the other continents arrive as contributions. He gives them reception for their sake and his own sake. His spirit responds to the country's spirit. He incarnates its geography and natural life and rivers and lakes. Mississippi with annual freshets and changing shoots. Missouri and Columbia and Ohio and St. Lawrence with the falls and beautiful masculine Hudson do not embouchure where they spend themselves more than they embouchure into him. The blue breadth over the inland sea of Virginia and Maryland, and the sea off Massachusetts and Maine, and over Manhattan Bay, and over Champlain and Erie, and over Ontario and Huron and Michigan and Superior, 
and over the Texan and Mexican and Floridian and Cuban seas, and over the seas off California and Oregon, is not tallied by the blue breadth of the waters below more than the breadth of above and below is tallied by him when the long Atlantic coast stretches longer, and the Pacific coast stretches longer, he easily stretches with them north or south. He spans between them, also from east to west, and reflects what is between them. On him rise solid growths that offset the growths of pine and cedar and hemlock and live oak and locust and chestnut and cypress and hickory and lime tree and cottonwood and tulip tree and cactus and wild vine and tamarind and persimmon and tangles as tangled as any cane brake or swamp and forests coated with transparent ice and icicles hanging from boughs and crackling in the wind and sides and peaks of mountains and pasturage sweet and free as savannah or upland or prairie, with flights and songs and screams that answer those of the wild pigeon, and highhold, and orchard oriole, and coot, and surf duck, and red-shouldered hawk, and fish hawk, and white ibis, and Indian hen, and cat owl, and water pheasant, and quabird, and pied sheldrake, and blackbird, and mockingbird, and buzzard, and condor, and night heron, and eagle. To him the hereditary countenance descends both mothers and fathers. To him enter the essences of the real things, and past and present events, of the enormous diversity of temperature, and agriculture, and mines, the tribes of red aborigines, the weather-beaten vessels, entering new ports or making landings on rocky coasts, the first settlements north or south, the rapid stature and muscle, the haughty defiance of seventy-six, and the war and peace and formation of the Constitution, the Union always surrounded by blatherers and always calm and impregnable, the perpetual coming of immigrants, the wharf-hemmed cities and superior marine, the unsurveyed interior, the log-houses and clearings and wild animals and hunters and trappers, the free commerce, the fisheries and whaling and gold-digging, the endless gestation of new states, the convening of Congress every December, the members duly coming from all climates, and the uttermost parts, the noble character of the young mechanics and of all free American workmen and workwomen, the general ardor and friendliness and enterprise, the perfect equality of the female with the male, the large amativeness, the fluid movement of the population, the factories and mercantile life and labor-saving machinery, the Yankee swap, the New York firemen and the target excursion, the southern plantation life, the character of the northeast and of the northwest and southwest, slavery and the tremulous spreading of hands to protect it 
and the stern opposition to it, which shall never cease till it ceases, or the speaking of tongues and the moving of lips cease. For such, the expression of the American poet is to be transcendent and new. It is to be indirect and not direct or descriptive or epic. Its quality goes through these to much more. Let the age and wars of other nations be chanted, and their eras and characters be illustrated, and that finish the verse. Not so the great psalm of the Republic. Here the theme is creative, and has vista. Here comes one among the well-beloved stone-cutters, and plans with decision and science, and sees the solid and beautiful forms of the future, where there are now no solid forms. Of all nations, the United States, with veins full of poetical stuff, most need poets, and will doubtless have the greatest, and use them the greatest. Their presidents shall not be their common referee, so much as their poets shall. Of all mankind, the great poet is the equable man. Not in him, but off from him, things are grotesque, or eccentric, or fail of their sanity. Nothing out of its place is good, and nothing in its place is bad. He bestows on every object or quality its fit proportions, neither more nor less. He is the arbiter of the diverse, and he is the key. He is the equalizer of his age and land. He supplies what wants supplying, and checks what wants checking. If peace is the routine, out of him speaks the spirit of peace, large, rich, thrifty, building vast and populous cities, encouraging agriculture and the arts and commerce, lighting the study of man, the soul, immortality, federal, state, or municipal government, marriage, health, free trade, inter-travel by land and sea, nothing too close, nothing too far off, the stars not too far off. In war, he is the most deadly force of the war. Who recruits him recruits horse and foot. He fetches parks of artillery, the best that engineer ever knew. If the time becomes slothful and heavy, he knows how to arouse it. He can make every word he speaks draw blood. Whatever stagnates in the flat of custom, or obedience, or legislation, he never stagnates. Obedience does not master him, he masters it. High up, out of reach, he stands turning a concentrated light. He turns the pivot with his finger. He baffles the swiftest runners as he stands, and easily overtakes and envelops them. The time, straying towards infidelity and confections and persiflage, he withholds by his steady faith. He spreads out his dishes. He offers the sweet, firm-fibred meat that grows men and women. His brain is the ultimate brain. He is no arguer. He is judgment. He judges not as the judge judges, but as the sun falling around a helpless thing. As he sees the farthest, 
he has the most faith. His thoughts are the hymns of the praise of things. In the talk on the soul and eternity and God, off of his equal plane, he is silent. He sees eternity less like a play with a prologue and denouement. He sees eternity in men and women. He does not see men or women as dreams or dots. Faith is the antiseptic of the soul. It pervades the common people and preserves them. They never give up believing and expecting and trusting. There is that indescribable freshness and unconsciousness about an illiterate person that humbles and mocks the power of the noblest expressive genius. The poet sees for a certainty how one, not a great artist, may be just as sacred and perfect as the greatest artist. The power to destroy or remold is freely used by him, but never the power of attack. What is past is past. If he does not expose superior models and prove himself by every step he takes, he is not what is wanted. The presence of the greatest poet conquers, not parleying or struggling or any prepared attempts. Now he has passed that way, see after him. There is not left any vestige of despair or misanthropy or cunning or exclusiveness or the ignominy of a nativity or color or delusion of hell or the necessity of hell. And no man thenceforward shall be degraded for ignorance or weakness or sin. The greatest poet hardly knows pettiness or triviality. If he breathes into anything that was before thought small, it dilates with the grandeur and life of the universe. He is a seer. He is individual. He is complete in himself. The others are as good as he. Only he sees it, and they do not. He is not one of the chorus. He does not stop for any regulation. He is the president of regulation. What the eyesight does to the rest, he does to the rest. Who knows the curious mystery of the eyesight? The other senses corroborate themselves. But this is removed from any proof but its own, and foreruns the identities of the spiritual world. A single glance of it mocks all the investigations of man, and all the instruments and books of the earth, and all reasoning. What is marvelous? What is unlikely? What is impossible, or baseless, or vague? After you have once opened the space of a peach-pit, and given audience to far and near, and to the sunset, and had all things enter with electric swiftness, softly and duly, without contusion, or jostling, or jam. The land and sea, the animals, fishes, and birds, the sky of heavens and the orbs, the forests, mountains, and rivers, are not small themes. But folks expect of the poet to indicate more than the beauty and dignity which always attach to dumb, real objects. They expect him to indicate the path between reality and their souls. 
men and women perceive the beauty well enough, probably as well as he. The passionate tenacity of hunters, woodmen, early risers, cultivators of gardens and orchards and fields, the love of healthy women for the manly form, seafaring persons, drivers of horses, the passion for light and the open air, all is an old, varied sign of the unfailing perception of beauty and of a residence of the poetic in outdoor people. They can never be assisted by poets to perceive. Some may, but they never can. The poetic quality is not marshaled in rhyme or uniformity or abstract addresses to things, nor in melancholy complaints or good precepts but is the life of these, and much else, and is in the soul. The profit of rhyme is that it drops seeds of a sweeter and more luxuriant rhyme, and of uniformity that it conveys itself into its own roots in the ground out of sight. The rhyme and uniformity of perfect poems show the free growth of metrical laws, and bud from them as unerringly and loosely as lilacs and roses on a bush, and take shapes as compact as the shapes of chestnuts and oranges and melons and pears, and shed the perfume impalpable to form. The fluency and ornaments of the finest poems or music or orations or recitations are not independent, but dependent. All beauty comes from beautiful blood and a beautiful brain. If the greatnesses are in conjunction in a man or woman, it is enough. The fact will prevail through the universe, but the gaggery and guilt of a million years will not prevail. Who troubles himself about his ornaments or fluency is lost. This is what you shall do. Love the earth and sun and the animals. Despise riches. Give alms to everyone that asks. Stand up for the stupid and crazy. Devote your income and labor to others. Hate tyrants. Argue not concerning God. Have patience and indulgence toward people. Take off your hat to nothing, known or unknown, or to any man or number of men. Go freely with powerful, uneducated persons, and with the young, and with the mothers of families. Read these leaves in the open air every season of every year of your life. Re-examine all you have been told at school, or church, or in any book. Dismiss whatever insults your own soul, and your very flesh shall be a great poem, and have the richest fluency not only in its words, but in the silent lines of its lips and face, and between the lashes of your eyes, and in every motion and joint of your body. The poet shall not spend his time in unneeded work. He shall know that the ground is always ready ploughed and manured. Others may not know it, but he shall. He shall go directly to the creation. His trust shall master the trust of everything he touches, and shall master all attachment. 
The known universe has one complete lover, and that is the greatest poet. He consumes an eternal passion, and is indifferent which chance happens and which possible contingency of fortune or misfortune, and persuades daily and hourly his delicious pay. What balks or breaks others is fuel for his burning progress to contact and amorous joy. Other proportions of the reception of pleasure dwindle to nothing to his proportions. All expected from heaven or from the highest, he is rapport with in the sight of the daybreak, or a scene of the winter woods, or the presence of children playing, or with his arm around the neck of a man or woman. His love, above all love, has leisure and expanse. He leaves room ahead of himself. He is no irresolute or suspicious lover. He is sure. He scorns intervals. His experience and the showers and thrills are not for nothing. Nothing can jar him. Suffering and darkness cannot. Death and fear cannot. To him, complaint and jealousy and envy are corpses buried and rotten in the earth. He saw them buried. The sea is not surer of the shore or the shore of the sea than he is of the fruition of his love and of all perfection and beauty. The fruition of beauty is no chance of hit or miss. It is inevitable as life. It is as exact and plumb as gravitation. From the eyesight proceeds another eyesight, and from the hearing proceeds another hearing, and from the voice proceeds another voice, eternally curious of the harmony of things with man. To these respond perfections, not only in the committees that were supposed to stand for the rest, but in the rest themselves just the same. These understand the law of perfection in masses and floods, that its finish is to each for itself, and onward from itself, that it is profuse and impartial, that there is not a minute of the light or dark, nor an acre of the earth and sea without it, nor any direction of the sky, nor any trade or employment, nor any turn of events. This is the reason that about the proper expression of beauty there is precision and balance. One part does not need to be thrust above another. The best singer is not the one who has the most lithe and powerful organ. The pleasure of poems is not in them that take the handsomest measure and similes and sound. Without effort and without exposing in the least how it is done, the greatest poet brings the spirit of any or all events and passions and scenes and persons, some more and some less, to bear on your individual character as you hear or read. To do this well is to compete with the laws that pursue and follow time. What is the purpose must surely be there, and the clue of it must be there, and the faintest indication is the indication of the best, and then becomes the clearest indication. 
past and present and future, are not disjoined, but joined. The greatest poet forms the consistence of what is to be from what has been and is. He drags the dead out of their coffins and stands them again on their feet. He says to the past, Rise and walk before me, that I may realize you. He learns the lesson. He places himself where the future becomes present. The greatest poet does not dazzle his rays over character and scenes and passions. He finally ascends and finishes all. He exhibits the pinnacles that no man can tell what they are for or what is beyond. He glows a moment on the extremest verge. He is most wonderful in his last half-hidden smile or frown. By that flash of the moment of parting, the one that sees it shall be encouraged or terrified afterward for many years. The greatest poet does not moralize or make applications of morals. He knows the soul. The soul has that measureless pride which consists in never acknowledging any lessons but its own. But it has sympathy as measureless as its pride, and the one balances the other, and neither can stretch too far while it stretches in company with the other. The inmost secrets of art sleep with the twain. The greatest poet has lain close betwixt both, and they are vital in his style and thoughts. The art of art, the glory of expression, and the sunshine of the light of letters, is simplicity. Nothing is better than simplicity. Nothing can make up for the excess or for the lack of definiteness. To carry on the heave of impulse and pierce intellectual depths, and give all subjects their articulations, are powers neither common nor very uncommon, but to speak in literature with the perfect rectitude and insouciance of the movements of animals, and the unimpeachableness of the sentiment of trees in the woods and grass by the roadside, is the flawless triumph of art. If you have looked on him who has achieved it, you have looked on one of the masters of the artists of all nations and times. You shall not contemplate the flight of the gray gull over the bay, or the meddlesome action of the blood horse, or the tall leaning of sunflowers on their stalk, or the appearance of the sun journeying through heaven, or the appearance of the moon afterward, with any more satisfaction then you shall contemplate him. The greatest poet has less a marked style, and is more the channel of thoughts and things, without increase or diminution, and is the free channel of himself. He swears to his art, I will not be meddlesome, I will not have in my writing any elegance or effect or originality to hang in the way between me and the rest like curtains. I will have nothing hang in the way, not the richest curtains. What I tell, I tell for precisely what it is. Let who may exalt, or startle, or fascinate, or soothe. I will have purposes as health, or heat, 
or snow has, and be as regardless of observation. What I experience or portray shall go from my composition without a shred of my composition. You shall stand by my side and look in the mirror with me. The old red blood and stainless gentility of great poets will be proved by their unconstraint. A heroic person walks at his ease through and out of that custom or precedent or authority that suits him not. Of the traits of the brotherhood of writers, savants, musicians, inventors, and artists, nothing is finer than silent defiance advancing from new free forms. In the need of poems, philosophy, politics, mechanism, science, behavior, the craft of art, an appropriate native grand opera, shipcraft, or any craft, he is greatest for ever and for ever who contributes the greatest original practical example. The cleanest expression is that which finds no sphere worthy of itself, and makes one. The messages of great poets to each man and woman are, Come to us on equal terms. Only then can you understand us. We are no better than you. What we enclose, you enclose. What we enjoy, you may enjoy. Did you suppose there could be only one supreme? We affirm there can be unnumbered supremes, and that one does not countervail another any more than one eyesight countervails another, and that men can be good or grand only of the consciousness of their supremacy within them. What do you think is the grandeur of storms and dismemberments and the deadliest battles and wrecks and the wildest fury of the elements and the power of the sea and the motion of nature and the throes of human desires and dignity and hate and love? It is that something in the soul which says, Rage on, whirl on. I tread master here and everywhere. Master of the spasms of the sky, and of the shatter of the sea, Master of nature, and passion, and death, and of all terror, and all pain. The American bards shall be marked for generosity and affection, And for encouraging competitors. They shall be cosmos, without monopoly or secrecy, Glad to pass anything to anyone, hungry for equals night and day. They shall not be careful of riches and privilege. They shall be riches and privilege. They shall perceive who the most affluent man is. The most affluent man is he that confronts all the shows he sees by equivalents out of the stronger wealth of himself. The American bard shall delineate no class of persons, nor one or two out of the strata of interests, nor love most, nor truth most, nor the soul most, nor the body most, and not be for the eastern states more than the western, or the northern states more than the southern. 